Blog Talk Radio. Special Saturday afternoon edition of the Ken Reedy Show because holy cow, like scheduling conflicts all over the place. Uh, got a conflict tomorrow, and uh, tonight, literally, as soon as we get off the air, we are racing out to Jones Beach to see Sammy Hagar, baby. Yeah. So that so it's like we, but we have to do the show. We have to get in. We have to do our pre-show for No Mercy. So. Uh, here we are, Saturday afternoon, so kick back. It's a nice day. Maybe get a lawn chair, go out in the yard, pour yourself a cocktail. Everybody loves day drinking. Listen to our show, and we're going to get you set of more than a day early for WWE No Mercy. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Ken Reedy Show. Again, facebook.com slash The Ken Reedy Show. Lots of cool stuff over there. We also got, uh, you know, we got the show chat going on, as well as uh, we do a raw chat on Monday nights. And we're always posting stuff up there. Check us out on Facebook. You can also check out our Twitter handle. At the Ken Reedy Show is our Twitter handle. Follow us over there. And you can also check out our website, the Ken Reedy Show, uh, uh, com. Again, the Ken Reedy Show dot com. Lots of stuff over there. Blogs. Um, you can listen to the show on the website, uh, and send us fan pics. We got fan pics on the website. Love when fans, um, send us pictures. Hey, you know what? Go, go to an event, bring a sign that says the Ken Reedy show, and then like take a picture of it and send it to us and we'll put it on the website and you'll be famous to us at least. So, you know, there'll be three people at least, right? The three people on the show would admire you. You'll be that famous. So do that. Why not? And if you listen to us live, thank you so much. We love doing this show live. Give us a call. 347-838-9815 is the number to call. But if you're listening to us pre-taped, you listen to us on the fine B-plus players network. Great stuff over there. The brainchild, the Dr. Frankenstein, if you will, of B-plus players, Mark Adam Haggerty has us broadcasting all over the universe, always adding stuff to the network. Listen to us primarily. Like, that's really your priority when you go to B+. But there's lots of great stuff on the network as well. The Outsider's Edge, great stuff. So check out all the great shows on B-plus players as well. 
Lots of stuff to get into. Interesting stuff. No Mercy is one of those odd pay-per-views to me that you do have. I mean, they're advertising. You do have some, like, WrestleMania quality type match. So they could be. The booking looks like it. Not one of the big four. This could be a great pay-per-view. Lots of stuff to get into and dissect. Couldn't do without my tag team partners on the line. Dave, how you doing this evening? I should unmute Dave when I ask him that. <laughs> Dave, how you doing? I'm great. I'm doing fantastic on this great fall, sunny afternoon. Uh, it doesn't feel like fall, but um, I'm pretty excited for uh, tomorrow night's No Mercy and to discuss uh, some of the, the, the bigger matchups on this card for, like you said, an odd pay-per-view. Wow, that's interesting. How long are they doing the show? The intro, Dave, and I don't unmute him. As long as they <laughs> show's already <laughs> we're in a place. Um, and uh, we also got as as become you know it's funny it's become customer on pay per view shows, but you're you're here more and more often. Yeah, it's and, uh, true. So we got Rocky Santiago also in studio, and you know I I mean we all love doing this show, man. And I, I, I and in all seriousness, you know people are wrestling. It's supposed to be escapist, people. Don't let wrestling stress you out too much. You know, it, it, I, it's amazing to me. People get stressed about wrestling. It's like, hey, I kind of like Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns stops. Ah! You know, it's like, don't, no, stop. It's, it's, it's escapist. Um, the show is escapist. Uh, wrestling, it, it's, it's a way to kind of get away from uh, the stresses of the world. Because the world, the world uh, can be a pretty tough place. And, Reality has been hitting hard, hurricanes, earthquakes. Uh, it's it's been like a difficult time period um, the past few months. And and honestly, Rocky, we're so happy you're in studio uh, today. But uh, reality kind of hit home for you this week. And at least you know things are cool. But a little escapism for you possibly today. Uh, most definitely, Ken. Uh, uh, for those of you who didn't know, I do have family uh, that were affected in Puerto Rico from the hur- from Hurricane Maria. I have uh, cousins. I have my wife over there, her family. And uh, we were incommunicado since uh, communications were knocked out about 4 a.m. on Wednesday. And I don't think I got a lick of sleep since then. Uh, but thankfully, thank God, uh, this morning contact was reestablished. Uh, I was able to talk. Uh, the, the the scene that was painted was very surreal. Uh, you know, not a tree left standing. Uh, gas lines, as one would suspect, just water everywhere. But you know what? Everyone's breathing. Everyone's upright. Uh, you know, after that, everything's pretty much gravy. But, uh, you know, a shout out to uh, all the people, not only for those affected in Puerto Rico, but you also have the, the earthquake in Mexico that happened. I'm sure plenty of people were in my boat. Um, I, I'm happy to say, uh, that a couple of contacts that I made in, uh, New England frontier wrestling, when I did that, uh, wishes on wheels event in Connecticut two weeks ago, uh, they reached out to me. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be the same organization or a new organization that's going to organize, uh, a benefit show, uh, in November. So that's coming down the pipe and, uh, I'll be uh, giving out details on that show as details become available to me, but they reached out to me asking me if I was uh, available and wanted to be on that show. I said, hell yeah, I'll happily uh, donate my time for that because it was, it's been a couple of stressful days, so it's going to be nice to escape with uh, a little bit of wrestling. Yeah, so if all of a sudden if you kind of hear like, 
That means Rocky finally found the time to sleep. Oh, yeah, I, I can saw some wood, too. <laughs> that you can. <laughs> so as, as we get closer to that event, obviously, um, the show, uh, we'd love to be either part of that show or publicized in, in any way we can. So hopefully we'll be involved. But we will definitely, if nothing else, we will keep our listeners posted when this show is going to happen, who's involved, maybe grab some interviews to publicize that show uh, to help out. Uh, the victims of, of this hurricane, but yeah, it's just, and you had told me like, how long are they saying now before they, they get power? Um, the, the current word on the street, as far as power and running water, uh, the estimates around nine months, nine months. That's I, that just boggles my mind. So obviously like the, you know, any funds that can be raised and, and sent down there definitely would be a big help. I mean, yeah. Cause I mean, this is like first world problems. Like you come to me and say like, we're not gonna have electricity for nine days. And, God, Jesus, nine days, it's just not fair. It's not fair. I need my Facebook. <laughs> it's not fair. And uh, just puts things in perspective when you look at, you know, country is going to be uh, a commonwealth is going to, you know, not have power possibly for nine months. Yes. Just... They, they had to drive an hour just to get a signal. I, I was surprised they got a signal, but they had to drive an hour just to get a cell phone signal that that's was able crazy. to reach out. It's like mid-2018. Like, that's just crazy when you, you put in perspective. That's yes. It's craziness. So we will keep you posted on that. And like I said, this is the world of pro wrestling. We're uh, supposed to use it to, to kind of get away from reality a bit. And um, so let's get into it. I mean, we've got No Mercy coming up tomorrow night. Um, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, I, I find it intriguing because I, I guess the two matches, and we're, we won't get into the picks just yet, but the two matches that jump out at you um, on this pay-per-view obviously are, are Brock Lesnar versus Braun Strowman. John Cena versus Roman Reigns um, matches that, yeah, I mean, they've been advertised as such. Um, it's funny when they tell you like WrestleMania type matches, because it's almost like saying like the rest of our pay-per-views, we kind of let suck, which is like, <laughs> we only save the good stuff for one time a year, but, um, but they are, they are those type of matches. Those are the type of names that you would see going at each other in a WrestleMania. They give you two of them in this pay-per-view. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that they would pick this for, for No Mercy. Um, the setup for, for Cena and, and Reigns, uh, the, the promos have been, been interesting. They've been fun. Um, I'm curious, you guys, again, without getting into picks, like, is this something that are we seeing a, a new era of the WWE? Am I reading into things too much? If we see a, if we see a Reigns and a Strowman both emerge victorious, you got – Obviously, Cena, the old guard. Um, you have Brock Lesnar, who, you know, part-time, but kind of part of that old guard kind of thing. And you have two up-and-comers that are going. So you do have kind of that dynamic of uh, the same old, same old versus the newbies, kind of. Um, it's not like I mean, Reigns has been around for a few years, obviously. Um, do, do, do you, like, either one of you guys, do you get that sense, that feel that, this could be a changing of the guard, or is it something that I'm just reading too much into it and looking for something to talk about on the show? Well, uh, me personally, I think it's a, it's easy to come to that conclusion with uh, Cena Reigns. Uh, it can easily be seen as a passing of the torch if you see Reigns come out victorious uh, and not getting into picks. But either way, it's going to be an interesting match. Uh, I think the buildup has been great for it, so I'm looking forward to it. As far as uh, Strowman Brock, uh, I don't know. I, I, I find myself 
uh, less inclined to be that, that passing of the torch. Um, I think to me, it's 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 a monster movie. It's it's going to be great. I, I'm looking forward to both matches. A lot of plunder, baby, if you will. If you will. If you will. What do you think, Dave? Um, I think we've kind of, I wouldn't say torch passing kind of moment in regards to Cena and Reigns, because Reigns has been in some, in, in recent years, in some top spots and in the John Cena type role for a, a, an extended period of time. I think 2017, as far as pay-per-views go, have been a weird year for him, and I'll get into that later. But um, I don't really see like a changing, me personally, I don't see a changing of the guard on either front. Um, and Rocky, great point you made. Took the words out right out of my mouth. Monster movie. I mean, this is a clash of like Godzilla and King Kong with Brock Lesnar and Braun Strowman. And I don't really see that match. I see the Cena Reigns match, you know, more a, if you were to categorize it as a torch passing moment, then yes. But me personally, I don't see it as that moment. Um, by the way, it's been built up. And Braun and Brock is just going to be like, Demolition Derby, you know, and then some when it when it comes to their match. So, uh, Ken, I would have to disagree here. You know, torch passing, no, because I think those two guys have been and have been elevated to top spots more so Reigns for a long period of time. Well, there you go. And we'll get into the picks of those matches a little bit later on because we're not going to blow our load that early. Um, so let's get into some. Let's get you know. Actually, I want to start with the cruiserweight championship. Um, just for fun. Okay. All right. We got Neville who, uh, by the way, uh, this past week, when when Neville mimicked Enzo's dance, living room popped for me. Like, I, <laughs> I cracked up. And when he was like, <laughs> I I just thought it was awesome. And I still. The Dr. Evil. Oh, my God. And <laughs> I know that, like, I, I've said it before. And, and well, piss off. I'm going to say it again. I just, I am so shocked at how good Neville is. I really am. Like, he just... And, and it's a shame that, like, the, the, the rest of the Cruiserweights hasn't come together to give you, like, that real, um, like, group where there's, there's other guys that you felt like really could be a challenge for Neville. But Neville, between what he does in the ring and that character... And, and I'm, I, I've said it time and time again, man, when, when it comes to wrestling, I am a character guy. I am an, like, I want to be entertained. Like, that's what I want. That's why, like, certain guys that are kind of just spot guys don't do it for me. Because I dig on character. And Neville's tremendous. And I never would have pegged it. and never would have pegged Neville to be able to pull off this character. And he's been absolutely phenomenal with this. I thought he was just hilarious with, with Enzo. Um, the Enzo stuff I want to get into because uh, you do wonder, um, are all these rumors true? You take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Uh, but I also go by where, where there's smoke, there's fire. And if not all the stories we're hearing about Enzo are true, um, I would venture to say maybe at least a couple are. Uh, apparently a lot of backstage heat loved the promo that Miz cut on Enzo where then yeah. Enzo looked like a deer caught in headlights where he kept trying to go back to a catchphrase. It was interesting because I think Enzo's a great talker. I, I thought Miz kind of knocked him off balance a bit. It was maybe not a knockout punch, but 
he was knocked loopy on the ropes for a little bit there. We've all seen Enzo loopy before. <laughs> um, but he just looked, and it's, I, I, I'm curious if that's a, a direction the company's going to go in creatively because they did kind of the same thing with uh, the Cena Reigns promos. They're definitely kind of mixing a little bit of backstage politicking with the promos on camera. Um, but you hear a lot about Enzo pissing people off behind the scenes. And, you know, I look at this match and um, Enzo being the cruiserweight champ, would that help Enzo? Yeah, probably. Um, I think the crowd is souring a bit on Enzo. And I don't know if it's time for Enzo to have a major character shift. I, I don't know what exactly to do with him. Um, because to me, Enzo's all talk. Um, he's, he's mildly entertaining in the ring, but he needs a lot of work to me, a lot of work as far as in-ring stuff, uh, entertaining talker. Um, but to me, as far as character in-ring, everything, Neville is far superior to me. And I'll start off with these picks. I look at this matchup and honestly, I think the Cruiserweight title could help Enzo. I don't know where you go with him with it though. And, you know, are these backstage politics rumors just, uh, BS and they're trying to like swerve us and now Enzo's going to get the championship. Maybe that's the case. Um, I tend to think, no, I think Neville's doing such a good job. Neville is still the guy to hold down the, the cruiserweight division. And to be honest with you, like I, I would, I think the story is more entertaining if Enzo continues to have to pursue Neville at this point. Um, Cause honestly, I don't know what the hell else to do with Enzo. Um, is it possible we get a match where, uh, Enzo wins via DQ or something, and Neville uh, retains the title. I could see something like that, but I'm, I'm going to go with Neville to, to win and retain. And I, with all the rumors, I am really curious uh, where we're going to see the character of, of Enzo Amori going, because I think they broke up that tag team way too soon. And I, I'm really kind of curious, because I, I feel like the shelf life is... Uh, Definitely winding down for that character. What are your thoughts, Dave? Um, whether the rumors are true or not regarding his backstage heat and his behavior behind the scenes and the heat that he may have in the locker room, uh, whatever, whether it's true or not, it sounds like the WWE and creative is running with that notion and implementing it into Enzo's storyline. Not just in the promos, like when Miz kind of schooled him the other night on Raw, but if you... I don't watch 205 Live, but... Enzo being put on 205 Live was to attract more viewers and kind of add some personality to the cruiserweight division that a lot of people have felt has lacked since its inception or its return, I should say, last year in the brand extension. And if you watch some of the vignettes and Enzo's interaction with other cruiserweight wrestlers, a lot of guys who don't have a whole lot of personality and are just spot guys or whatever you want to call them, you can kind of see Enzo's attitude changing a little bit, almost like he's big-leaguing them, like I'm bigger than this cruiserweight division. Not coming out right and saying that, but just his attitude towards them. Certain guys in tag team matches he's tagged with, like uh, Cedric Alexander and Gran Matalik or whatever you want to call him, or other guys, you can kind of see Enzo's attitude changing a little bit. I remember watching a vignette that they did on WWE.com where – I think they were weighing in Enzo to see if he had reached the 205 limit. And he was kind of very cocky and kind of had this like big league approach in his promo to the other cruiserweights that were surrounding him. So whether the rumors are true or not, it sounds like they are going in that direction 
of Enzo feeling like he is bigger than the cruiserweight division in, in and of itself. And I think that will help his standing if the rumors are true with the fans, because like you said, Ken, the reactions are becoming less and less when it comes to him um, coming out and, and cutting a promo or whatever the case may be. I can't expect the match to be anything really solid because, like you said, he needs a lot of work in the ring. He's all talk. He's a character, and he entertains. He's very entertaining. Um, and I think this might be a good move to save him from whatever backstage heat he may or may not have. I'm more intrigued in him winning the Cruiserweight Championship and kind of taking this rumor and innuendo of his backstage heat and incorporating that into his character of, well, now I've made it to the big time. I'm the Cruiserweight Champion. I'm better than all of you. And with that being said, I'm going to pick Enzo winning the Cruiserweight title tonight. Or tomorrow, excuse me, at No Mercy. <laughs> I know, it's so confusing. What do you think, Rock? Well, uh, good points brought up by all, but as far as, uh, what, Thank you. As far as what Dave had to say, yes. uh, I am going to agree with him. Whoa. Um, I, first off, I say kudos to WWE Creative for leveraging, you know, the rumors are obviously abound and the dirt sheets can't, you know, can't write this stuff fast enough, but kudos to creative for leveraging the dirt sheets and pretty much using them to garner that much more interest in this match. Um, I think it's a shame that 205 live isn't garnering the interest that it should. Uh, I perfectly agree that Neville definitely without a doubt has grown leaps and bounds as a performer, uh, as an entertainer, and has really held the uh, cruiserweight division down. Uh, and not for nothing, there are a couple other guys like Jack Gallagher, like Akira Tozawa, that have exhibited personality, but for some reason or another, the, the chemistry I don't know, within the division is not clicking yet. So enter Enzo, uh, someone who has been over with the fans for a long time. Yeah, perhaps, uh, perhaps that's waning a little bit. I don't see it waning too much. And you have this opportunity, and granted, uh, Enzo is not, uh, you know, no one's going to mistake him for a mat technician in the ring as of yet. But I think along the lines of, uh, along the lines of being a champion and getting that strap on him, you know, just like Jinder Mahal, Jinder kind of grew into that championship, that cha- holding that belt made him that much better. I'm thinking that the WWE is possibly thinking of, uh, of uh, reproducing that effect by putting the belt on Enzo and hopefully he can grow into the title and grow as a performer and uh, see where this goes. But I agree with Dave. My pick is for Enzo to uh, grab the title tonight or tomorrow. I'm out on an island, which means that's no good for me. <laughs> Usually things go. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I agree with you. I, I think that, like, 205 Live, and I don't really watch it on a regular basis either because it just doesn't do much for me. And, um, you know, I think part of the the issue with it, you know, like, remember we did uh, Road Wild the, the, got a few weeks back or a month yeah, back, yeah. Uh, and, and we talked about um, it was Hooventude versus Rey Mysterio, yes. correct? You have a match like that on the card. Um, granted, like you want story storyline, you want a program, you want everything, but like 
what they did is special. It's like in the mix of like the rest of the card, and I've always said like WCW did a nice job with the cruiserweights because you'd have like that spot fest match, and that's what they were there for. But it was like unique on the card. So the the stunts that they were doing, the spots, everything that would get the crowd like hyped, were would be unique for that night, for that program, for those three hours or even two hours, whatever. Two hundred five live. Like, everyone's doing that. So if you're not giving me established characters, established storylines, storylines I can really sink my teeth into, promos I can really sink my teeth into, to, like, watch a show like that and have the spots matter as opposed to just watching gymnastics in a squared circle, that's the problem with 205. Everyone's doing the same stuff. Everyone's wrestling the same style. So it's like... Why am I going to sit there and watch an hour worth of that stuff? Like, I'd rather, like, you throw a match, like, give me a Neville match on Raw. That's awesome. In three hours, I'm not going to see anything else like Neville that night. You know, and, and for 205 Live, it just doesn't do it for me. I, I need you to give me more more creative, more storytelling. I'm not Style, gonna, Styles make fights. Right. I'm, I'm not going to sit there and watch, like, flippity doos for, for an hour with no, like, real stories I can sink my teeth into. Um I'm I'm curious with you guys like right now because you know it, it I, I find the Enzo thing interesting because I, I to me you had a lot of potential with that tag team uh, with Big Cass um, and, and Dave like you had brought it up even like when they were in NXT that you know Enzo's whole shtick coming down the ring uh, reminded you of uh, Billy Gunn and, and Road Dog way back when uh, you know the the New Age Outlaws and uh, uh, and I, I told it so. I thought that was an, an excellent comparison looking at those two. Um, you, you break them up. Um, the subsequent matches afterwards, side rail because of Big Cass's injury. Um, for me as a fan, uh, I found myself like, you know, his music started. It's like, my name is Dan. I was like, oh, just shut up. Just shut, like, I don't know. Like, my reaction now is I, I've gone from being a fan that was like, and that's the thing with wrestling, man, that that's incredible. Like you can go from great to crap pretty quickly and vice versa. Like it's just something that like, you know, cause you, it's constant, you know, there's no off season. So, um, and, and I remember when he did that, um, it was like a political promo, like behind the scenes where he's talking about presidents I, and I stuff. That. And I thought that was brilliant. And so I, I, I thought that like Enzo was one of the best promo guys to come around in a long time. For me, and I was, I was, I found it intriguing that it seemed like the crowd was kind of following suit because I generally don't agree with today's wrestling fan. Um, but I found myself kind of being like, oh, "All right, Enzo, we get it. S A W F. It's oh, okay, we got it. We get all that stuff." And it just seemed old to me. And when Miz called them out, I was like, "You're just a bunch of catchphrases. That's all you are." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm agreeing with the Miz more and more." Which is like, what the <laughs> hell is happening? Um, but I'm curious for you guys, like as, as fans and, and Dave, you know, again, you brought up that comparison and that's, that's, you know, big deal. I mean, New Age Outlaws are one of the best, most popular tag teams. And they, that, that entrance did have that kind of feel to it. They break the tag team up, uh, rivalry goes south because of an injury. And I'm kind of bored with the Enzo character, which is why I'm curious where they're going to go. I'm curious your thoughts right now on, on Enzo and, and you just as a fan. I'm not really, I've never, I never liked the, uh, 
split between these, you know, splitting these guys up. Um, and I still think there's ways they could salvage them coming back together as a team and having a longer shelf life, maybe as like, whether it be a heel tag team or like Enzo is the mouthpiece to big Cass and big Cass kind of protects his little buddy. Um, I can still, I can see them having a longer shelf life in that regard. Um, but the new age outlaws comparison, which I thank you for, you know, giving me that credit because it was, it's not something I take a whole lot of pride in, but, um, that was like the first thing that came to mind when I saw those two in NXT, just the way that the, that the audience went along with every single word that they said. And it translated well onto the main roster. But in recent weeks and since they split up Cass and Enzo back in the summer, when Enzo comes out and still kind of does the same shtick, but without Cass, it reminds me a lot of when the, the New Age Outlaws split up and and, and uh, Road Dog, excuse me, would do the whole ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls stick, but without Billy Gunn. And it just wasn't the same. It garnered a reaction. The people still went along with it, but it just wasn't the same. It was like, to me, with any kind of split from a tag team or two characters that are associated with each other, if you're going to split guys, whether it be both or one or the other, they have to do something different, in my opinion, that separates themselves from their previous incarnation of their character. Now, I'm not saying Enzo's got to go out and reinvent the wheel, because I think some of the stuff that he did with Cass now, or if he in- implements that now, I think still, still think some of that works. But it's just not the same for me. It's not. And I think reinventing himself in this cruiserweight kind of role and maybe kind of taking on more of this, you know, I made it big leaguing kind of the other cruiserweights. I think that's going to help reinvent him even further. And maybe it will add another dimension to when they decide they want to reunite him with Cass once Cass returns from injury. I mean, they see money in Cass as a big singles guy. I'm sure that they want to see him headline a WrestleMania against Roman Reigns one day. Sorry, internet. It's the truth. Don't get all worked up over it. It's going to happen. So enjoy it or change the channel. Plain and simple. Yeah, I, I, let's just put it this way. I enjoyed the Enzo character, Enzo and Cass, when they were together. And it absolutely, when they split them up, which was too early, uh, like, I think they could have did so much more. I think they deserved at least one tag title run. Maybe not, you know, I'm not talking New Day. We got to go for the you know, longest, longest reign or anything. But they were, to me, they were an entertaining tag team. And, I wholeheartedly agree with the points uh, you and Dave brought up. When, when they split them up, uh, you change the formula, and it's just it's not as potent as it once was. Now to see where they go with him, uh, it's it's going to be a ride. But I do think I agree with David. I do think Enzo has to change it up a little bit. It's not going to work if you're just going to be if you're going to be half of a character. Because let's let's just put it this way they were together a whole character uh, in Enzo and Cass and they did all that shtick together and all of it worked and when you got them both together you knew you were going to get Enzo on the mic and you were going to see a seven footer you know go nuts in the ring you you were going to get a big boot somewhere along those lines and when you lose that you you it loses some of that luster and that's exactly why I went with my pick because he needs something 
you know, he's not going to have cash. And I agree that this time off that cash has to take off for injury, you, it gives you some options as far as how you bring him back. And if you want to reunite them, how to reunite them. And I really hope they do uh, because I, I definitely think they're more entertaining together than they are apart. But it's going to definitely be interested to see where they take uh, the Enzo character because, in my estimation, he, he, he needs a hand. He needs help. It'd be great, man, if he, like, God, I can't believe how often I'm just talking about how great Miz is. It's crazy. <laughs> but I, it would be cool, like, if he won the title and, like, showed up the next night, like, the hair cut, the beard trimmed, you know, <laughs> suit on, comes down, and it was like, you know, the Miz was right. And it's enough of me pandering to you guys and giving you catchphrases. I mean, the thing, the thing with Enzo is, and I'm hoping, and I'm hoping if they do tweak his character at all, that creative uh, allows him some freedom and, and, and allow Because, I mean, I do look at Enzo, and, and again, after that, that presidential promo, that he seems like a really bright guy. He and does. he seems like a guy that, if allowed to, to, to go in a different direction, um, could excel. Um, and I would like to see someone like that, like get like, uh, you know, the, the, the reins kind of taken off creatively and see what he could do. Um, and, and, and I could be wrong and maybe not, you know, necessarily a drastic change like that, but I'll be honest with you. If, if he won the title on Sunday and Monday, he showed up with a really like short, short, short beard, the hair either cut or at least slicked back wearing a suit with the, the belt over his shoulder I'd pop for that. Like, I'm like, all right, yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, that would be awesome. So we'll see what happens. Um, interesting I, stuff right now with Enzo. I'm just surprised that Miz didn't say, you know, is anyone going to teach you how to spell anytime soon? <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was, uh, Miz's promo was great. I was waiting for him to, to call him out on the damn spelling. 347-838-9815 is the number to call. You want to talk about WWE? No mercy. But the rest of now... It's time for, we do this every pay-per-view show. It's time for Dave's pay-per-view throwback. Dave, take it away. Thank you very much. Good day, class. Yes, that's right. I said day. Good, not good night, but good day. And welcome back to another pay-per-view throwback lesson plan here on a beautiful, sunny Saturday afternoon. With no mercy on the horizon, today's lesson plan is a special one as I've decided not to disclose to you what you'll be learning about in this forthcoming lesson. Instead, I'm just going to get right into it with today's historical retrospective entitled Mystery History. We start today's Mystery History lesson plan with a historical title change that helps set the standard for future mid-card championship rivalries to come. A title that has been brought back to a prestigious level in WWE recently, courtesy of The Miz. I'm referring to the Intercontinental title, as it was 33 years ago on this date, September 24th, Greg the Hammer Valentine captured the Intercontinental title from Tito Santana. London, Ontario, Canada was the site, as the Hammer put in work on Tito's already injured leg heading into the match. At a methodical pace, Valentine went to great lengths of making sure that Tito Santana didn't leave with the Intercontinental title as the master of the flying burrito had to be stretchered out of the arena, hoping to live to fight another day. Fortunately for him, this rivalry would be settled in July of 1985 inside of the confines of a steel cage as Tito Santana won back his Intercontinental title. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's continue this mystery history with a birthday. As tomorrow, 
the principal owner of World Wrestling Entertainment, Stephanie McMahon will turn 41 years of age on September the 24th. The billion-dollar princess has come a long way since the days of her on-screen debut as the naive youngest daughter of Chairman Vince McMahon. Stephanie has been a vital component of WWE storylines for almost 18 years, with some of those storylines having taken place at the No Mercy event. Excuse me. 17 years ago, Stephanie McMahon was in the corner of our current WWE Raw General Manager, Kurt Angle, as he won his very first WWE Championship with a victory over The Rock. It was a month prior, Unforgiven, exactly 17 years ago to the date, that Stephanie McMahon was by her husband Triple H's side as he settled the score with Kurt Angle. In 2003, Stephanie was in action at No Mercy from Baltimore, Maryland, as she battled her very own father, Mr. McMahon, in a first-ever intergender I-quit match. On that night, Stephanie was no no match for her father as she suffered a humiliating defeat and, per the stipulation in the storyline, would have to step down as general manager of SmackDown. The Brothers Hardy, who as of right now are not scheduled to be participating in tomorrow night's No Mercy event, share significant historical presence in this particular pay-per-view throwback lesson plan. First, from No Mercy 1999, the Daredevil tandem set the bar with Edging Christian in the first ever tag team ladder match as the brothers came out victorious and became made men in WWE. The following year, the Hardys were part of history on this date, September 24th, 17 years ago, as they defeated Edging Christian in a brutal steel cage match to win the WWE Tag Team titles at the Unforgiven pay-per-view event. Matt Hardy out of the Daredevil duo has competed at six No Mercy events, more so than his brother Jeff, who he teamed with at three of those six No Mercy events. Speaking of general managers, I made mention of Kurt Angle as he is the current Raw GM who made history at No Mercy, winning his first WWE title 17 years ago. But it was 11 years ago to the date that Angle would make history for another company, TNA Wrestling, when he was announced as the company's newest acquisition at the end of the 2006 No Surrender event. Angle would go on to add add to his already impressive resume with almost a decade of accolades within the ranks of TNA as the company's world champion, among other accomplishments. Continuing with the mystery history, considering that tomorrow is WWE No Mercy, it would be rather appropriate if I delve into some facts and figures surrounding the history of the event, some you may know and some you haven't heard before. Starters, John Cena, who will face Roman Reigns in a highly anticipated WrestleMania-worthy matchup, has competed at three No Mercy events, his first in 2003, suffering a loss to Kurt Angle. His second No Mercy was in 2004, defeating Booker T in the fifth and final match of the United States title best of five series. And we cap off Cena's No Mercy history with last year, as he suffered a devastating pinfall loss in a triple threat WWE title match to champion AJ Styles. <coughs> Excuse me, class. Sorry about that. The third part of that triple threat equation from last year was Dean Ambrose. He will defend the Raw Tag Team titles at No Mercy with partner Seth Rollins against The Bar. Sheamus and Cesaro. And out of these four men, Ambrose is the only one to have wrestled at a prior No Mercy event. We just spoke of him, Enzo Amore. His character looks to conquer new heights as he challenges Neville for the Cruiserweight title at No Mercy. In the longstanding history that this annual, that is this annual event, the Cruiserweight title has been defended five times 
with four of those title defenses taking place at the actual No Mercy pay-per-view and one taking place as a preliminary match on Sunday Night Heat, a precursor to what we witnessed with today's kickoff shows on the WWE Network, which I'll discuss in detail later. Anyhow, Billy Kidman, Jamie Noble, Tajiri, Spike Dudley, and Juventud Guerrera have all left the No Mercy event the same way they entered, with the Cruiserweight title in their possession. Hurricane Gregory Shane Helms was the Cruiserweight champion at No Mercy 2006 as he battled Matt Hardy. However, that title was not defended on that evening. Tajiri, I made mention of him earlier, is the only man in No Mercy history to challenge for that title and defend that very same championship in back-to-back years. 2002, coming up short against champion Jamie Noble, and in 2003, successfully defending the title against a cruiserweight legend, Rey Mysterio. Another interesting cruiserweight statistic for you, a good friend of the Ken Reedy Show, Nunzio, holds the distinct honor of challenging for that title in back-to-back years, 2004 and 2005, which would be the last time the cruiserweight title was defended at no mercy, coming up short against Spike Dudley and Juventud Guerrera. Could Enzo Amore break that streak tomorrow night, or will the king of the cruiserweights show wrestling fans why nobody is on the Neville level? Now, if there's one thing I usually don't discuss historically on the throwback lesson plans, it's the history of pay-per-view pre-show matches. But with the barn burner scheduled for tomorrow night between Elias and Apollo Crews, I felt that this lesson plan could use some rather forgettable history to remind you that today's product could be a lot worse. Over the years at virtually any pay-per-view event, pre-show matches have been designed to get the crowd hot for the upcoming evening's card not to be remembered for anything significant in wrestling history. However, on this lesson plan, I've decided to educate you on some of the more uneventful matches that have taken place before No Mercy events, more particularly on Sunday Night Heat. The first preliminary matches on a No Mercy card took place in 2001 on MTV's Sunday Night Heat, as the APA defeated the unorthodox combination of Canyon and Hugh Morris. It was also on this very show that Kidman defended his cruiserweight title against Scotty Tuhati. In 2002, the Hurricane, he made quick work of Stevie Richards. Make way to for 2003, Kidman continued his No Mercy preliminary match winning streak with a victory over Shannon Moore. Scotty Tuhati continued his No Mercy preliminary match losing streak in 2004 as he ate the pinfall to the so-called reflection of perfection, Mark Jindrak. William Regal and Paul Burchill defeated the team of Paul London and Brian Kendrick before No Mercy went on the air in 2005. In 2006, Jimmy Wang Yang defeated Sylvain Grenier in record time, so much so that upon doing my research, there wasn't an official, an official match time recorded for this particular bout. Hardcore Holly disposed of current Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion Cody Rhodes in 2007. 2008, the Colognes, Carlito, and Primo defeated John Morrison and The Miz. And rounding out the No Mercy pre-show match list comes to us from last year as the Hype Bros and American Alpha defeated the Ascension and the Vaude Villains. With that being said, I've covered a lot of ground today on this lesson plan, but before I close out today's retrospective, I must delve into some history regarding the match everybody is paying to see. The main event. With the reigning, defending, undisputed WWE Universal Champion Brock Lesnar, as he holds several significant historical moments in this particular lesson plan. 
Lesnar is no stranger to no mercy, as he holds an undefeated record of 2-0 and zero with victories over The Undertaker in both 2002 in a Hell in a Cell match and 2003 in a biker chain on a pole match. This year he faces Braun Strowman, one of the flagships that will help lead the future of WWE as well as the future of big men in pro wrestling for years to come. A match of this magnitude will take place inside the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, an arena and a city that have hosted some pretty big moments in the career, the WWE career, I should say, of Brock Lesnar. Inside the Staples Center, Lesnar has headlined four out of five pay-per-view events, sporting a record of 4-0-1 with victories over Triple H, CM Punk, John Cena, and The Undertaker. The one blemish on that record comes from a non-finish at Unforgiven 2002 against The Undertaker. Now, these statistics, they may not mean anything. As a matter of fact, they might just mean jack shit when it comes to tonight's main event. But I felt necessary that they be brought to the forefront when going over this matchup tonight. Judging by what took place at last month's SummerSlam and how things have transpired between these two in recent weeks, expect a very hard-hitting physical style match with the chances of Plunder Baby making an appearance during the course of this contest. Fall pay-per-view events have become the creative team's vacation in recent years in WWE, but with two WrestleMania-worthy matchups headlining this card, my gut says that some creative foreshadowing will tell us what to expect in the coming months as we close out 2017 and head into WrestleMania season in the new year. Class, thank you for taking the time to listen to this all-over-the-place kind of lesson plan. Enjoy No Mercy. Class dismissed. Good stuff, as always. Great lesson plan. Lots of stuff learning, and you mentioned it, so why don't we get into it? Apollo Crews with Titus O'Neil versus Elias. So are you, Rock. What do you think of this match? Well, all I have to say is, who wants to walk with Elias? <laughs> Honestly, I'm actually a really big fan of the character and where, and where this guy's going. Uh, I thought it was interesting when they introed him, and he was just a drifter. I I do feel like his character should drift from show to show. I think that would be a great. That's a really good idea. Like if he was a free agent, just drifted in and out. Like, like we, time and time again, we should just all be working for WWE. <laughs> like I think it adds to the character, and I like what they've been doing. And then you have Apollo Cruz, uh, not doing as much as he should. You know, an explosive competitor, great look. Uh, not that wild about his mic skills yet, but that's why you have uh, Titus O'Neil there. Although. Uh, Titus O'Neil's skill on the mic is also debatable, <laughs> but hey, you know it's 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 WWE. Um, just uh, no big analysis. I think Elias has been on a streak as of late. Uh, I think it would serve him to uh, go over Apollo and maybe give maybe give them a little bit of a rivalry. I, I think I would enjoy that, and I think that would be a good starting point to give something to to Apollo's character. So uh, I'm going to go with Elias for the win. I, I'm digging the the Elias character, and honestly, this uh, you know Titus's role as a um, an advocate, the manager. Like, I, I, it's kind of I wasn't sure about it, but it's kind of I wouldn't say it's it's a knock it out of the park home run, but I'm, I'm kind of digging it. Um, maybe like a uh, Elias should drift over to to SmackDown and do a duet with Aiden English. That, that would be that would be interesting. That would be that would be. Interesting. I don't know why I find Aiden English entertaining. Like, I, know, <laughs> I just like I get a kick out of it. I don't know why. <laughs> But um, anyway, back to this. Um, yeah, I'm kind of right there with you, and I agree. And, and I w- it wouldn't shock me if we see some sort of 
you know, maybe we have a guitar shot when like the, the ref's not looking or some sort of underhanded stuff. And, and I agree with you. I think it would be cool if we get like a nice, um, nice early card, mid card type rivalry uh, between uh, these two. I think they both could use something to kind of sink their teeth into. Um, I'm enjoying Elias. He's different. He's unique. Um, you know, he's taken the man mountain rock gimmick and he's ran with it and it's, it's working for me. So uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to walk with Elias on this one as well. And I'm going to go with Elias with the victory, Dave. Nobody cares about this match. Let's be honest. Let's not sugarcoat. Let's not <laughs> what, are you, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> nobody, cares. nobody cares about this match. There was no build up to it. Apollo Crews, what's he doing? He's hanging out with Titus O'Neil. Titus O'Neil is like an updated version of the Job Squad with the Titus brand between him and Akira Tozawa. I mean, yes, it's giving them some personality, but it, I mean. I'm I'm kind of with you, Arlie Ken. Like it's not knocking it out of the park, but like he's getting on base. Like in terms of reaction, like it's it, it's okay. Elias, he's great. He's a drifter. You know, he he sings really crappy songs, just like every pro wrestler that is that has claimed to be a rock star, like Honky Tonk Man and Double J Jeff Jarrett. Uh, you know, he, his his music is terrible, but that's what gets him the heat. But like I said, nobody cares about this match. There's no build up, so I'm gonna walk with Elias on this one. <laughs> because I can't walk with uh, Paulo Cruz. Like, what's he done lately? He's done nothing. <laughs> that was awesome. And Dave, we <laughs> right back down to earth. <laughs> really did. Thanks for grounding us, Dave. I mean, you're probably right. We, we gave a little bit too much analysis on this. Like, yeah, probably. you're right. Probably. You're right. We don't care. If, if any of us are in the bathroom during the beginning, you know, during the pre show, like, I don't think we're going to lose sleep. Yeah, probably. Not. So let's move on, shall we? Uh, let's see. Let's look at what matches we should get into. Let's go, Miss. Let's go, Miss. Let's go, Miss. Did I really say that? And this is crazy, and the, man. The seventh seal opened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, and not only that, not only is the Miz doing some of it. I shouldn't say this is the best work. This is the best run Miz has had his entire career. Now there are guys. There are guys on the card in Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas that they're sprinkling a little Miz dust on. Like Miz, they're using – Miz is doing such a good job right now. They're grabbing guys that are just lost, and they're giving them a purpose. Like it's, it's just – it's insane. Like something clicked in Miz's head. And maybe like part of that promo with Enzo was like truth that, you know, he had to get his shit together, and he did. Um the thing is, I don't know what to make of this Jason Jordan thing, um, uh, where they're going with it. Uh, are they going to go with the nepotism angle? Uh, uh, no pun intended. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I'm not buying it. I'm not into Jason Jordan. It's uh, this whole, uh, you know, I mean, we talk about it on the show, and, and I, I think all of us on this show are pretty fair. Like, we might see something that we don't like early on and but we let storylines unfold um i don't think any of us on the show were really like ticked on the illegitimate son angle but um willing to see where it would go and i'm still not into it it's just it's kind of odd to me i don't know what to make of it Uh, i'm not a fan of, of jason jordan another instance where you could have beefed up the tag team division 
um, in the WWE and you chose to break up a tag team. Uh, it just, honestly, he does nothing for me. Um, and what The Miz is doing right now is too good. It's too solid. It's uh, the consummate heel champion that if you're going to try to get faces over, you feed them to The Miz. I don't think Jordan is ready to be a champion in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I think the Miz is too valuable right now in the mid-card uh, to, to take that belt off for a Jason Jordan. Um, do we have Jordan pursue him for a bit? Maybe. I don't know. Again, I am, like, out there. I just don't know what the hell to do with him. Uh, this this storyline just doesn't work for me at all. Um so I'm going to go with Miz with the championship. Maybe, you know, the Miz Taraj gets involved a bit. Uh, I don't know. But I'm going to say Miz is just too valuable to take that belt off him. You need him right now in that mid card. Miz with the victory. Dave, your thoughts? I'm right, where, I'm right there with you, Ken. From the beginning that this whole, you know, re- reveal came out that he was the illegitimate child of Kurt Angle up until this very moment as I'm speaking right now, I'm not buying one single bit of this storyline. It's forced. It's just, it's not getting the reactions it, 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 it was intended for. I'm just not buying it. I'm sorry. Um, I was not a big proponent of breaking up American Alpha in the first place. Um, do I still think that there's room for them to get themselves out of this hole? I mean, yeah, there, I think there still is to make it somewhat plausible and believable. Um, But this is another match that I really don't care about either because of this whole, I'm, you know, Kurt's kid, but people are snickering at me and making fun of my dad and all this other stuff. I mean, I just don't, I mean, they've, they've already jumped in the deep end with this. I mean, you're invested in it now. So now you got to find a way to creatively come up with some sort of, end game or something to get people invested into Jason Jordan. I don't think, you know, necessarily, you know, winning the intercontinental title is going to do that, especially with all the prestige that Miz and Miz's character has put back into that title in the last year or so. Um, bell to bell. I think it will be a fun match. I think both guys will bring it. They, they, they work well together in the ring, but from a storytelling standpoint, this is like another bathroom break for me. Like they got to do something to really wow me with this. Um, but I'm going to have to disagree with you, Ken, because I think they are so invested in this storyline. I do think that for the time being as a, as a holding pattern, I don't think, I think Jordan winning would just be too obvious and people would rebel against it even more. Um, so I think that they, over time, they want to, you know, really develop it. Hopefully I, I think they want to develop Jason Jordan's character by a, so by pairing him up with the Miz against the Miz Taraj and get people invested in him based off of Miz's heel heat and what he brings to the table. So for my pick, I'm going to say Jason Jordan doesn't leave Mo, no mercy with the intercontinental championship, but he'll get a victory by disqualification of some kind. Um, you know, he'll come inches away from winning, but the Miz might just kind of take it from him. Miz still leaves with the title, but Jordan gets the victory. And they continue this with, you know, Jordan coming up short and maybe not living totally up to his, his potential or the potential that his father, Kurt Angle, expects of him. But it's kind of like a holding pattern creatively until they figure out something better for him. 
And it's interesting, you know, and in, in talking about this storyline, which is, you know, part of our issue with it was, you know, everyone, like you do this documentary on Kurt Angle, everyone knows his family, everyone knows the behind the scenes, and then you throw, it just, it's, it's so obvious it's a wrestling storyline and it's not real. In the midst of having storylines where you have The Miz cutting a promo on Enzo about stuff that, that you think is happening for real backstage. You have John Cena and Roman Reigns going at each other uh, seemingly about backstage politics. They're kind of like trying to blur that line between reality and wrestling storylines. And while they're doing that, they have this storyline going of some wrestler who's Kurt Angle's illegitimate kid. Everyone know it's, knows it's not really the case. And it's just, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I just, it just doesn't work for me at all. So we all think Miz. So far, we both think Miz is going to leave with the championship. Uh, we differ how that's going to happen, which leads us to Rocky. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, an interesting storyline. That honestly, in in this age of uh, of the internet and dirt sheets and stuff like that, I don't think you can get away with this type of uh, storyline anymore. Uh, like we know, we know he's not your kid. But uh, that being said, I think everyone uh, everyone brought up their points, and I am going to disagree with both of you. I say that I agree with Dave in that they are very invested in this Jason Jordan storyline. Me personally, I'm a fan of the competitor. I think he does, he his ring work is impeccable, and uh, he's getting some personality in front of the camera. Um, the Miz obviously doing his his best work. Uh, and I think that that shows no signs of slowing. That being said, I don't think he necessarily needs the belt in order to make that work uh, uh, go over with the fans. So I do agree that this is going to turn into somewhat of a rivalry, but the way I see it playing out is I do say Jason Jordan beats The Miz for the title, and the next show, you're going to see the Miz crying nepotism that why the hell did he even get a shot? He didn't rate it BS. And I, I can see them going that direction, but uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb, say Jason Jordan for the win and the belt. My God, man, my God. Wow. Three different picks on that. Let's see what happens. So, you know, I mean, it, 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 we could almost like right now, if you're going to Vegas and you're betting, don't put your money on the Miz because I picked him. <laughs> that's like, that's not going to happen now. The way this all played out. <sighs> let's get one more match in before we go to the break. Uh, let's see. Let's go. Let's go with the ladies. Fatal five-way match for the WWE Raw Women's Championship. Alexa Bliss voices Sasha Banks, voices Bailey, voices Nia Jax, voices Emma. Dave, your thoughts on this match? Clearly, by putting these five women together, um, they are obviously trying to multiple people in this match from a character standpoint. Um, I like the inclusion of Emma. She's a dark horse. And it, it adds a fresh face to the, the, the women's title mix over on Raw. Um, but if you're, if, if you're really watching this closely, and I've been saying this for months, and I feel like 
either WWE creative is making a liar out of me or, you know, it's just a really slow burn. But I really feel like they're they're pushing towards a Nia Jax babyface turn, and she challenges Alexa Bliss for that title. And I think they want to wait to build that up more. And by doing so, that's why they've added Bailey and Sasha and Emma to the mix, making it a fatal five-way. I I don't expect it to be a bad match. I mean, the girls, you know, the the women's wrestling has, you know, come a long way in recent years. Um, And, you know, these girls have have brought it on several occasions, different incarnations, whether it's Bailey and Sasha or Alexa and Sasha or Sasha and Nia. Um, Emma's the only one who really hasn't really mixed it up with all these girls. So I'm kind of interested to see how she plays a role in this match. Uh, but at the end of the day, I still think Alexa Bliss is walking out with the Raw Women's Championship. Okay. I'm, I think this match is going to be very interesting. Uh, I like the buildup of the different facets of this match. There's just, there's a lot of things going on and I think it's probably going to be a fairly exciting, uh, fun match. In the end, I do think that they're really, really high on Nia, though. And I, I myself, I'm becoming a, a bigger fan of Nia. And considering that uh, of all the women in this match, with the exception of Emma, who I don't really think is ready to hold the belt yet, uh, I think it's Nia's time. Uh, I think they're... They're riding her hard as far as getting her popularity out. Well, she's getting her popularity out there herself. And I think the crowd is is high on Nia. And I think it will be interesting because up to now, we've seen these women's champions that, you know, they're skillful, you know, either mat technicians or they're high flyers. We haven't really had a a monster women's champion uh, in a long time, and obviously that's what you're going to get out of Naya, and it'll be interesting to see uh, when she does get that belt uh, how future matches are, are, are going to stack up. Uh, my my pick is for Naya to come out with a belt. Wow, Naya. I gotta say, man, I would love, I really would, I would love to see Emma come out with the, the belt in this matchup. I would love to see something like you know, like Nia, like his devastating maneuver on on someone else, and somehow she just sneaks in and, and gets the pin. Like, and it wouldn't shock me. And I wouldn't. And, and I think that to me, they need to do something with Emma at least. Um, I agree with you, Dave. I, I I think they might take this match to to create to uh, maybe lead to other rivalries, other programs. Um, you know, back to the point we we're talking about. You know, we talked a little bit about. American Alpha and Enzo and Cass, like, you know, breaking up of tag teams, you know, where the tag team division could use a little booster. Um, you know, back in the day, one of the things I really enjoyed and I've talked about with WCW is, and back when I started as a wrestling fan, you know, titles had like a title picture around it. You had people vying for a, a specific title. And then you had people that were like, you know, competitors that just wrestled because they didn't like each other. And, to me, like the ladies' division, like and Emma being relevant, and Emma being someone who you could take seriously, who's not going to be just a jobber for the other women, I think would help just booster the ladies' division as a whole. So I'm not picking her. I would love to see it. I, I do agree. Like I think she's definitely a dark horse. It wouldn't 
it wouldn't shock me to see Emma walk out of there with that belt and give us a, a complete swerve. But I am going to agree with Dave. I think, to me, this is one of those matches that is going to solidify Alexa Bliss as the unbelievable little engine that could, um, that she goes in there with five, with four other competitors and still emerges with that ladies' championship. Um, she's good. She's good. I didn't see a lot, you know, from her coming out, you know, once she came into the company. Uh, she's another one of those competitors that continues to improve, that continues to add to her character. I, I find her very entertaining. And, you know, when I look at a match like this, I, I look at it as the obvious thing to do is to take the belt off of somebody. Cause, and you can, you can uh, kind of protect the champion because someone else can get pinned. You know, Emma could get pinned in this match and Alexa Bliss loses the title. So to me, that's the obvious way. I don't think they're going to go the way. I think Alexa Bliss, the, the tiniest competitor in this matchup, is somehow going to emerge victorious by hook or by crook, and she's just going to be that that um that that force that that is going to frustrate the hell out of Nia. Nia is just this force of nature uh, coming through the women's division and should be dominating. That she's going to be literally pulling her hair out at the end of this matchup because somehow she was unsuccessful in getting that ladies' championship. So I agree. I think Alexa Bliss retains the title in this matchup. 347-838-9815 is the number to call as we take a break right now for the Day 5 50-50 News Report. Thank you very much, Ken. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the most comprehensive news segment in the pro wrestling podcast game today. The Day 5 50-50 News Report only heard at the top of the hour right here at the Ken Reedy Show, the best in pro wrestling talk. Now, before I get into this week's top stories, don't forget to follow B-Plus Players Radio, where you can find this show each and every week. Catch the replay of our live shows dropping roughly at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday evening, sometimes Monday morning. And if it's not available then, send your thoughts and concerns in a timely manner, and politely, may I add, to the guy who performs more hair flips on his Instagram story than an entitled millennial. I'm referring to Mark Adam Haggerty who also hosts his very own show, The Outsider's Edge. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to B-Plus Players Radio right now and see what I'm talking about. The pro wrestling podcast game is rapidly evolving, and we would like for you to be a part of it with us at B-Plus Players Radio. And now that I've gotten all of that out of the way, it's time for this week's top stories. This week we begin, we begin with a story surrounding an identity crisis, that being the identity of global force wrestling. Oh, wait. I mean, impact wrestling. Nope, 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 sorry. TNA wrestling. Well, whatever they're called, it seems as if the company is now reverting back to impact wrestling as evident in local advertisements for the upcoming Bound for Glory event. In a twisted turn of events, the company hadn't fully made the transition to being named global force wrestling when acquiring the trademarks from Jeff Jarrett. And with Jarrett now taking a leave of absence for an indefinite period of time, the company has decided to drop any further references to GFW, despite the fact that they've made new championship belts for their current title holders. On the subject of Jarrett, internally, the company isn't sure when he will be back from his personal sabbatical, but they plan to move forward in this once again attempt at rebranding. 
Rumors have circulated that long-term the company would like to make Impact Wrestling a Canadian-based pro wrestling company, as Anthem is located in Toronto, and the company could seek more economic, economic advantages. Allegedly, they're trying to get away from the TNA stigma, and the company feels that staying in Orlando won't help with rebranding moving forward, as there's been a long-standing association with TNA and Orlando's Universal Studios. In last week's Day 5, it was announced that Bound for Glory was taking place in Canada and rumored to be headed for Toronto. Monday morning, it was officially announced that Bound for Glory would be held in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. The setting, the Aberdeen Pavilion, which has hosted events in the past, such as trade shows, wine tastings, and senior citizen breakfast. Not the usual setting for a professional wrestling pay-per-view. And according to reports, there doesn't seem to be any arena-style seating provided, along with no bathrooms and only one floor. The building's capacity seats 2,800 people, but with no bathrooms or locker rooms for talent, the company will have to come up with a plan to provide those amenities for the public and those within the company. Anthem CEO Ed Nordholm spoke publicly recently on the Bound for Glory site and hoped that the company could realistically sell at least 500 tickets to Bound for Glory to create a more intimate setting, along with the television tapings to follow, selling the same amount each night without overexposing the product to the Canadian audience. The TV tapings to follow are expected to cover episodes of Impact Wrestling for the remainder of 2017. And some more news from GFW, TNA, Impact Wrestling, the Mickey Mouse Club, or whatever the company wants to call themselves these days. Jim Cornette has parted ways with that promotion. Goddamn! He spoke out publicly on his podcast this week, explaining that his most recent appearances on Impact Programming was only designed to be a short-term deal and was done as a favor for Jeff Jarrett. Cornette goes on to chronicle that he agreed to work the Bound for Glory pay-per-view and TV tapings to follow before the location was announced to be in Canada. However, according to Corny, he is no longer allowed to enter the country as he has several assault charges from years prior that prevent him from entering the Great White North. No, not Jim Cornette. God forbid. Cornette debunks any rumors of heat with the company over this departure and stated that this tenure this time around, albeit was short, was very pleasant to say the least. WWE announced this week that they will be bringing back an old WCW-themed event on Thanksgiving weekend as the Starcade franchise will return to where it all started, Greensboro, North Carolina. As of right now, there haven't been any confirmed reports of this show being televised as a WWE Network special. However, there are rumors out there that the timing of this event is rather coincidental because the popular WrestleCade convention is taking place nearby on that very same night. One person who is very outspoken on this subject is current Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion Cody Don't Call Me Rhodes. He publicly called out the WWE for promoting this event, as well as it's well known within the pro wrestling community that his father, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, created Starcade while booking Jim Crockett promotions many moons ago. Cody went on to say that if WWE was going to steal the Dream's idea, at the very least book Goldust to be a part of the show. WWE writer and Hall of Famer Michael PSAs responded on Twitter with an invitation for Cody to tag with his brother at this very event. Matt Hardy, who along with brother Jeff, are advertised to appear at this Starcade event, was involved in the Twitter banter as well, suggesting a tag match with Bullet Club members the Young Bucks, which caused quite a stir on social media. As of right now, 
there's no word on if WWE and Cody have even spoken behind the scenes about making an appearance at this event, or if this was just the typical 140-character conversations that become a regular thing on Twitter these days. We can tell you that Starcade legends and WWE Hall of Famers Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and the Rock and Roll Express are advertised to make a special appearance at the WWE-produced Starcade event. We also can tell you that WrestleCade promoters have reached out publicly to Cody, inviting him to appear at their event instead of WWE Starcade. But as of right now, there is no word on that both sides have reached an agreement. And Impact Wrestling also seems to be in the mix with this subject, as it was announced by WrestleCade that they will be on hand at the convention filming footage for upcoming episodes of Impact Wrestling on Pop. Needless to say, Greensboro, North Carolina will be a very busy time during Thanksgiving weekend. And in my final story this week, WWE sent out a survey to network subscribers trying to gauge fan interest on a tiered price system for the WWE Network that would stream more original content than ever before. Ideas that were surveyed included original scripted television dramas featuring WWE superstars, a Game of Thrones-type series starring WWE talent, a pay-per-view voiceover series with WWE legends and Hall of Famers calling a live pay-per-view, alternate camera angle series where you can watch WWE events from unseen camera angles, random WWE house shows broadcasted live on the network, more original tournament-style action, original reality TV series such as another edition of Legends House starring WWE's Attitude Era stars, an ECW-style pro wrestling show with a TV-14 rating, and the survey also asked about the possibility of streaming content from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Global Force Wrestling, as well as UK indie promotions such as ICW and Progress. The company has been actively researching a tiered system for the better part of a year as expectations of the network's growth has been underwhelming since its inception in February of 2014. And for you wrestling fans who listen to this fine podcast, do you have a lucky individual in your life that currently doesn't know it? Do they know that you're a passionate wrestling fan but struggle with making the decision to take the plunge and go on a date with you? Well, wait no longer as I've got the solution. Door Decor. The one-stop shop for all your custom home decor needs. If you're looking to impress this special someone, then look no further than door decor. Custom wreaths, signs, or any other home decor could add personality to one's cozy living quarters. Not sure what you're looking for or have a special theme in mind? Maybe a pro wrestling theme? Then reach out to Nicole on Facebook at Door Decor by Nicole or go to her Etsy store at Decor Door Boutique. She'll be able to help design and create the piece to hang in your home for that special someone. Do you want to live in your parents' basement forever with the only excitement to look forward to is mom coming home from the grocery store with a new box of tissues to clean your sticky keyboard? Well, here's your chance to finally get laid and still maintain your pro wrestling fandom with Door Decor. And there you have it, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Dave 550 News Report. Check back here next week as I'll be sure to inform you on all the locker room gossip in the world of professional wrestling. Now let's continue the No Mercy pregame show as we send it back to the boys. Rocky and Ken, take it away. I feel like we need to record a jingle. Good stuff. Good stuff. Informative as always. Let's get back into the picks. Let's get into a little Finn Balor, Bray Wyatt. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm having a hard time with the, you got to leave the demon at home thing <laughs> like that. I, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. 
I, it's like it's just, <laughs> and again, you seem very I, on the fence. It's uh, it's just not working for me. And to be honest with you, I, Finn Balor hasn't worked for me since he came to the main roster. Now, granted, ill-timed injury that that really like you know obviously side railed him as as a main eventer perhaps. Um, you know, no, he's it's it's just it's makeup and and kooky like hair attachments. He's it's not really a demon like so. And then it's it's like, well, if the man created the demon and the man is uh, okay, okay. And, it, and it's and it's like kind of this weird stuff again. Like I said before, like so you have these promos going on where, um, you know, you're kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit and it's getting a little more realistic and blurring that line. And then you got like, uh, you know, I'll wrestle you again, but you can't be the demon. Demon can't come this time. I I don't know. Like it's just, it's not doing it for me. And I get it. It's pro wrestling. I get it. Like. The, the Undertaker would, would levitate and we would be buried at times and survive and all that stuff. And I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I remember Papa Shango. I get it. <laughs> um, I just, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not, <laughs> I love when Rocky does sight gags on like a radio show. <laughs> um, yeah, Rocky was just convulsing a little, little Papa Shango. Um, God, who, who thought we would bring up Papa Shango tonight? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what – it's just not doing it for me. It, it's just not – I like I like Bray Wyatt a lot. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go to you, Rock, before I give my pick. What are your thoughts <laughs> on this match? Oh, well, I, I feel bad for you, Ken, because honestly, I'm kind of digging this match. Um, I, I do agree that uh, – that Finn Balor, uh, Finn Balor, I'm a fan of. Uh, I don't think he is everything that the IWC pumps him up to be, but I still think he, he's been a good competitor in the ring. He's obviously brought a lot of charisma. Obviously, when he is the Demon King, the, the fans are completely over with it. And, you know, one, one of the best over entrances, you know, there's him, there's uh, Bobby Roode, and there's, uh, you know, the artist that calls himself... You know the Michael Jackson fan, but uh, I th- I like where they're going with this, especially when you think of the eccentricities of the Bray Wyatt character, kind of calling on the eccentricities of the Finn Balor character that he has two characters in one. And let's face it, like going a little bit old school. If you thought about, for argument's sake, let's say the Ultimate Warrior, and he came out without the face paint, it would be weird. It'd be like a whole like. Unless unless he was being as nutty as he was, it would be almost like a whole other dude. But you always saw him with the face paint. Like even on Arsenio, didn't he have the face? He had the face paint. It was like to I see so. to see him without it. It would be like yeah, this is a whole other guy. So I, you know, that being said, I like where this match is going. I think it's very interesting. And for no further ado, as far as my pick, I'm going to go with Bray. Uh, because I think it's an interesting angle, and I think Bray is going to prove his point that uh, w- without th- there is something less of Finn Balor without the paint. Yeah, yeah. you guys remember when when Ultimate Warrior like kind of did away with the the traditional face paint and just painted like a little warrior thing on his cheek? I, I, yeah, it looks like. like- it, lo- it looked like he went to the carnival and got, like, a face painting. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> he went to the face painting booth. 
Yeah, it was like, it was like, like he had a, like, a large that. like Ultra Warrior mole on on his cheek. <laughs> it was like a weird kind of like I hated that. I anyway, um, yeah. Again, I, the story's not. I, I I appreciate the fact that Rocky was able to use eccentricities twice, and like so we we are we are a highbrow wrestling show right here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But um, for no, I, I'm I am gonna go with Bray Wyatt with this. I, I think he'll emerge victorious. I think you know they they might. This might have some legs. Uh, you know, might see these guys clash again. Maybe something wonky happens in this matchup. Um, I just, for me, I'm not feeling the the, the demon not demon thing. Um, we'll see what happens. I think it'll be an entertaining matchup. Um, I, I like their last match, but uh, I'll go with Bray Wyatt with a victory, Dave. First off, before I give you my answer, I never thought on the show I would hear Papa Shango and Arsenio Hall in the same sentence. Uh, from from you, but nonetheless, um, both interesting points that you both made. However, um, what really gets me is the the way that they've labeled this match as man to man. Like, what were these two guys before they were men? You know what I mean? Like, I just I I'm kind of puzzled and baffled at the whole labeling and, and the title of it being man to man. Like, you bring you're the man. Finn Balor show up. Don't wear the paint. You just show up as the man, and I'll show up as this really fucked up cult leader kind of guy named Bray Wyatt. Like, I just, I'm not really, I don't know. Both guys have, in fans' minds, both guys have, have, have been robbed creatively of numerous opportunities. If you're listening to today's wrestling fan or the, or the, the IWC, if you will. Um, but, you know, I was a little disappointed in the SummerSlam match. It wasn't bad, but I felt like once things really started getting going in that match, then all of a sudden it was, like, over just like that. And I feel like creatively with these two characters, there's so many, there's so much left on the table in terms of, like, all the smoke and mirrors and the darkness they can do. I mean, I mean, come on. You know, you brought him up earlier, Ken Undertaker, you know, levitating and coming down from the ceiling and, you know, disappearing and being buried alive and burned in a casket and all this other stuff. Like, all that hocus-pocus spooky shit that, like, we all, like, would go crazy over because it was The Undertaker. I just feel like they don't – they could do so much more with a Bray Wyatt and a Finn Balor, especially in a rivalry like this. Um, and I just never really understood – like, I didn't get, like, all right, you brought the demon out just for SummerSlam, but then you're going to go back to being normal and – your regular Finn Balor self the next night and expect Bray Wyatt to just walk away after you, you know, you, you, you valiantly defeated him at SummerSlam. Like I didn't get that. I, this whole rivalry I was really excited for, but since SummerSlam and, and moving forward, it's just been kind of like, eh, for me. And I feel like if Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt's character thrives on chaos and psychological torment and torture. He does. I've always said this. He does not thrive on wins and losses. Um, his character has basically kind of been the same person for the last four or five years that he's been on TV and WWE, and you really haven't seen him affected too much by losses. He just kind of picks up, picks himself up and decides, well, this is the next person I'm going to torture. And so I really feel like a win for him really wouldn't matter, and it would be more important for Finn Balor to get the victory because you said it earlier, Ken, Getting to the main roster, he had the ill-timed injury opportunities, you know, fell to the wayside, and he's just kind of floundered, in my opinion. As much as I like him, as talented as he is, 
He's just kind of floundered, and I feel like he could use this victory more than Bray. Bray doesn't really need the victory. Like I said, he, he gets off on, on tormenting guys and just causing chaos and havoc and destruction, and that's just who he is. That's Bray Wyatt. So my pick is for Finn Balor in this match, and hopefully this is a better match than the SummerSlam match, and they give it a little bit more time. They should have to be like Finn Balor the man versus Husky Harris. That, that's what should happen in this matchup. Man <laughs> against man. Um, but, yeah, and, and you're right, Dave. Like, creatively, I think they're they're both, uh, you know, missing something. And, you know, I almost wish, like, with Bray Wyatt, I mean, he, he's so charismatic. And, um, you know, as a cult leader kind of character, it, w- it would have been interesting if he brought some other people into the cult. Like, he had his Wyatt family. Uh, I know he had Strowman, uh, you know, was a later addition, but to to kind of turn people, you know, that's that's the thing about cult leaders. Like they, and I would have liked to have seen more of, you know, I, obviously there's Daniel Bryan for a short time, but I I would like to see more of that, like turning people and being that cult leader, and you know, maybe if, even if they decided to do away with the Wyatt family to bring uh, some new guys into the fold that were just turned by Bray. Um, I know we use the term turned a lot in pro wrestling, but, you know, when you, you, you uh, look at stories and, and read up on like cults and like, like Charles Manson and how like, you know, they would take people that were uh, disenfranchised, floundering, um, you know, lost and, and bring them into the fold. And I've, and I've always, which means maybe I'm kind of warped, but I've always been fascinated with like the idea of a cult leader and how, you would take someone who seemingly like has some problems, but they're, they're, you know, quote unquote normal. And a cult leader can just hit on those like insecurities and, and turn you into something else. Um, and I, I, to me, that's fascinating to, to see how people can be susceptible to that. And I would love to see something like that from Bray, not necessarily, you know, don't go NWO where like the whole roster is part of Bray's flock, but <laughs> You know, if, if you had, like, a couple people that, um, you know, that, that he turned and, and were part of, like, this Bray Wyatt cult, who knows? That's just, like, where I would go with, with it. I mean, you have a cult leader without a cult at this point. Like, that's that's the Bray Wyatt character. So Yeah, that reminds me. Whatever happened to Harper and Rowan? Uh, Rowan got hurt, I believe. Harper, I've heard rumors. I, I'm curious if you heard anything, Dave. I, I heard rumors that, like, they, they might be looking to repackage him. Was there – I mean, I know there was an injury. He came back. Was there another injury? What are the – do you know the status of the, the former flock? Yeah, actually. They've come up recently in the uh, the, the dirt sheets. Uh, Rowan came back a couple nights after WrestleMania. Um, and he kind of aligns with Wyatt, and then they did that, like, superstar shakeup, and Wyatt got moved over to Raw, and Rowan, you know, virtually did nothing. Uh, they missed the boat on Harper. Like, get, heading into WrestleMania, he was, you know, a big-time, you know, uh, part of that whole storyline with Orton and, and Wyatt. I thought they were going to make that a triple threat and really, you know, add some, you know, different dimension to that title match, but unfortunately they didn't, and they really haven't done anything of significance with either of them. There were rumors that they were supposed to be. Um, there's rumors that they that they were supposed to be repackaged and brought back as a tag team, and then there were rumors that Harper was only going to be repackaged, and then there were rumors that they were just going to come back as them as their normal you know regular characters, but brought as, together as a tag team and be the culprits of the uh, the attacks on Brizongo with those you know Miami Vice style 
vignettes they've been doing. Um, so there's been all kinds of talk of what they what what they're thinking about doing with them or not. I I said it at the SummerSlam pre-show. I'll say it now. If they brought those two back and reformed them with Bray and redid the Wyatt family again, I'd have no issue with it whatsoever because I think that that there is so much creatively left on the table. Like I can't even begin to tell you. And having them like be that group again and menacing over on Raw, like it works. It just works. But at the same time, creatively, I get why people would be bored of it because Harper and Rowan really haven't excelled past the Wyatt family status, so to speak. So as of right now, there's rumors of repackaging for both, um, whether they be a team or whether they do something individually on their own. That's, that's beyond me. So it remains to be seen, but I, you know, Roland, I mean, Roland's not bad. I, I, I do think they're really missing the boat with Luke Harper. And, and yeah, he, I, I've, I've said it time and time again, you know, I, I remember seeing him before he even came to the WWE and, that's a big man that can do a lot in the ring. That could be a, you know, a staple for a long period of time. I think that that they're they're missing the boat on him, and uh, I kind of hope that if they repackage, like if they go back to, I, I wouldn't have a problem if they went back with the Wyatts. I think that would work. I, I hope though if they repackage them that they, we get like a wholesale repackage. Like I, I don't want kind of, you know. Like you know, like Luke Harper did his laundry and his, his, <laughs> his tank top's no longer dirty, and that's the repackaging. Like, I, you know, like, like I like like shave the beard, found, do something with the hair, found like a this. bottle of Tide. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, you know, it's it. You know, Rowan comes out in like a red jumpsuit now. Ooh, he's been repackaged. You know, um, I, I just hope like if they repackage, like it, creative, you know. Let, let's let's live up to your name. Like, be creative. If you're gonna like repackage these two guys, like, give us something a lot different. The thing with Luke Harper is when Luke Harper was wrestling on the independent scene, he had the same exact look. You know, he was it was kind of the, the the same look. So, um, to me, if you repackage, like, go wholesale and just change it up. As it is, it seemed like uh, Luke Harper's bald spot was getting bigger week by week. Um, you know shave that shit, cut the beard, maybe give like a menacing big goatee. Like he's a, he's a big dude. Like give us something though, where you just give us a nice, like complete, like a, a, a look where he comes out and you're like, Hmm, wait a second. Wait, is that Luke Harper? Like I, I, that's the kind of repackaging I would love to see where you're kind of looking like and trying to figure it out. And the same, the same with, with Rowan, I would love to see them so changed with their appearance that, it kind of takes you a minute to realize who it is. Remains to be seen. He'll probably just come out with a different color tank top. <laughs> Let's get back to the picks. The tag team championship on the line as Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, brothers again. The champions taking on Cesaro and Sheamus. And when I look at this matchup, I will say this. As we... We can be negative with WWE creative, and I think most of the time we are justified in what we say. However, with negative will come some positive. We are fair on this show. Um, Cesaro and Sheamus, two guys that were lost for quite some time. Two guys, uh, to me, both very talented. Um, I know there's a large contingent of the IWC that hates on Sheamus. I think Sheamus, I mean... He, he's a big bad mother effer, you know, man. He, he cussed an okay promo. I'm not gonna say he's great, but it's not. He's not terrible on the mic. Um, and when when I look at creative, man, these two work as a tag team. And and I I wasn't I didn't totally buy in when this 
decided to put these two together. But, you know, they got a cool entrance. Uh, they got good chemistry in the ring. Cesaro's just a goddamn stud. Like, that guy can do no wrong in the ring. And honestly, I think Sheamus kind of helps Cesaro a bit with the mic work. Um, I love the look. I love the kilts now. Um, I, I think they're – and for, for two guys, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot with tag team wrestling is give us more teams. Don't give us just two guys shoved together and try to sell us on a team. Like, give us more teams like, like the Usos. You know, teams that just they, – they, all we know them as is teams. Um, these are two guys that are thrown together that I think 100% work. They, they just work. They have evolved into a tag team. If you never watched WWE programming and, and flipped on, you know, this show and saw this tag team, you would think they're just – they've been a team forever. Um, I think everything works there. Uh, that being said, I don't think they're winning this match uh, tomorrow night. Uh, I think Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins uh, will come away with a victory. Um, is this it for these two teams? I, I hope not. Um, and, and I hope that we see uh, Cesaro and Sheamus with the belts uh, sometime again. Uh, and, and I hope they don't, as, as we talked about on the show a couple times, I hope they don't split these two guys up too soon and, and, and don't have things for them. Um, because I think they're really working as a tag team. I think they come up a little bit short tomorrow night, but I am digging everything they are doing as a tag team right now, Dave. I've liked both teams against each other. I thought the styles really meshed well. I liked their match at SummerSlam. It was a really good match uh, between, you know, Ambrose and Rollins having that throw caution to the wind kind of style with, you know, combined against, you know, Cesaro and Sheamus' very physical um, hard-hitting style. I thought like they both really meshed well together. I thought it was a great match, and I expect the same thing to happen in this match. Um, but I don't think that this is going to go on any longer than No Mercy tomorrow night. I think that they see potential in Ambrose and Rollins holding the titles for a very long time. What the end game is there, I don't know, but um, maybe putting them up against the Hardys, giving them a little bit more of a rub. Not the Hardys, but you know Ambrose and Rollins, or even the club, Anderson and Gallows, who you know, have become a, 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 bear, a very big disappointment and not something that's their own fault, but uh, maybe putting the club with Andrew, you know, against uh, Ambrose and Rollins would be a better selection um, and something for the club to sink their teeth into. But, yeah, as far as the match goes, expect the same thing from SummerSlam, a very good match and a victory for Ambrose and Rollins. Yeah, after uh, looking at all looking at these teams, I am definitely a fan of the bar. They, they don't raise the bar; they are the bar, and uh, I think they have evolved well into a well-oiled machine of a tag team. And they're a very physical, hard-hitting style, which fits both of them. And then you got Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, former Shield mates. Uh, I'm not a fan of them still keeping separate entrance, uh, separate entrances. If you're going to have these guys be a team, uh, which make, which leads me to believe that while they hold the straps for now, they're not going to hold them too long. Um, that being said, I am going to agree that they are going to retain the titles tomorrow. But I, I think that you start to see chinks in the armor because like I said, yeah, they have the straps. They, they're enjoying this run as a tag team, but, their entrances are still separate. Uh, they are still two very distinct competitors. 
I don't see them lasting long. And I really do hope that the belts find their way into the hands of Sheamus and Cesaro again uh, sooner rather than later. It does suck like, when you look at like um, Rollins and Ambrose that uh, Reigns kind of held on to the Shield theme song because it would be yeah. cool if like like if say like like again looking at like a crowd pop if you know Reigns had his own theme song mm. and mm. you had Cesaro like the first Cesaro the first time uh, Rollins and Ambrose are together. And that shield. So you haven't heard the shield music in a couple of years, and all of a sudden that shield music hits. Yeah. And if they came out of the crowd, crowd would went that shit crazy. I should be writing this stuff. Come on, come on. As we got about 24 minutes to dissect the two biggies, sink our teeth into these two matches. Before we get into picks, I want to get into your thoughts, both of you guys, on the build between John Cena and Roman Reigns. Um, it, it's been intriguing and, and very entertaining, and for all you mother effers out there that think John Cena sucks on the mic, boy, you are wrong. <laughs> Just realize that that dude is a company guy, and he does what the company tells him to do. And when the company says, dude, go cut a kick-ass promo, dude can cut, cut a kick-ass promo. That I mean, just... <laughs> I'm not I, look. Cena's not in my top five all time. I don't even know he makes my top ten as far as mic work, but he can cut a promo. The dude, you let him go, he can cut a promo. He's sharp. He's got some good wit. Um, and I've been digging the, the kind of blurring the lines in, in this, and it's been entertaining um, for the most part. Uh, I think he's owned Reigns promo wise. Um, which the, the interesting thing about this is I don't know. This is where I go back and forth. Like as a fan, as someone just watching it, I am entertained. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy, honestly, with, with what Cena has become over the years, I enjoy those moments where you feel like creative said, all right, you don't have to be like an angel tonight. Just go do your thing. And, and you know, you can almost see this change in John Cena uh, Cena versus The Rock, you kind of got that as well. Where like, you know, it's like Cena, you can have an edge tonight. It's like, oh boy, I get to have an edge tonight. Um, and you see that difference. And as a fan, I dig it and I'm entertained. Um, as someone who sits here and, and probably thinks way too much about what they're doing, and we do the show and we analyze and speculate and dissect, um, I do wonder what that does for Reigns. Um, both short term and long term. Um, Cena's a part timer now. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, do we have a, a time period? Uh, you know, in the next year, or two years, where Cena gives us six months of, of being there, day in and day out, maybe. Um, but Cena, for the most part, right now is a part timer. Um, he's gotten to that age, which is fine. I did think it was interesting that Reigns uh, called him out as a hypocrite because I did kind of think that as a you know, Cena called out The Rock, and now Cena's kind of in that role of a part-timer. But um, Reigns is the guy that's going to be there long-term. Reigns is the guy that you get the, the sense that the company uh, looks at him as a top guy, as a long-term top guy. Um, I, I don't know if it's the best thing to do to have the old guy owning the heir apparent on the mic leading up to it. Um, I don't know how many favors this did for Reigns, uh, which makes me very curious where they go after this match, because 
you know, the crowd has never been like fully behind John Cena, but when it comes to these promos, um, I mean, you want to, you want to be nice and say 80, 20, but I would say for the most part, the crowd is behind Cena. Uh, the crowd was digging what Cena was saying. Um, seemed like there's more booze for Reigns than there was for Cena. Um, I'm really curious to see how the crowd reacts tomorrow night for this matchup. I mean, do we get the let's go Cena, Cena sucks chance? Do we, they, do we just get Roman sucks kind of chance? Is it, is it full on like cheers for Cena, booze for Reigns? Cause honestly, which is amazing. That wouldn't shock me when you think about going back a couple of years to the shield and how popular they were with the IWC and tomorrow night, it would not surprise me at all. If Reigns is booed out of the building and the crowd actually cheers for Cena, which is it's amazing how fickle uh, Gen Y fans are when it comes to pro wrestling. Um, but I'm curious before we get into picks, both of you guys, like, is this good for for Roman Reigns? Do they need to like maybe change up his character after this matchup? I'm just curious uh, when you look at Roman Reigns as a long term talent, um, was this necessarily the best thing for him, Dave? Um, from a promo standpoint, I agree with you, Ken. Cena has owned Reigns, and I don't think this has been very good for Reigns. I think this has exposed some holes in his microphone game that a lot of people have been claiming for a long period of time. I've been a proponent of Reigns. I've been a big fan of Reigns since he was in the Shield, and when they you know, were grooming him to be the top guy, I still am. I've not given up on him, but... I've always been the, of the theory he, he can kind of go the Goldberg route. Less talk, more, uh, more action, very hard-hitting, impactful. Um, you know, because his talking game is not very strong. But WWE is insistent that their top guy has got to talk. So, therefore, you know, they're, they're going this route where they're putting him in creative positions where he looks like he's failing. And as far as the buildup goes for this, like you said, it's been intriguing. It's been interesting with the blurring of the lines and the behind-the-scenes stuff. But I will say, looking back on it up until today, um, and I've, I've been kind of leery about how this whole storyline has transpired, but in hindsight, as I look at it, I feel like this is the only way that they could have gone for Cena and Reigns to get to tomorrow night. And why I say that is because if you were to just put Reigns and Cena out there on TV and give them a typical, I respect you, you respect me, I want to find out if I'm the best and I have to beat you to do that, or if I, w- I want to find out if I still have enough in the tank and i got to beat the new guy on the block sort of scenario, I feel like today's wrestling fan will crap all over it. They will take a big, giant, steaming dump on the – you know, I respect you. Let's fight it out and see who the best man win, best man wins kind of storyline is. And I think by blurring the lines and 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 going with the shoot interview style promo by both guys and and taking what the internet wrestling fan has said about both Reigns and Cena and incorporating that into the verbal back and forth between both guys, I think. That's the only way they could have gone. And I also think that was done so that you can get a definitive reaction of the fans like this guy and the fans hate this guy, whether it be they hate or like Reigns or hate or like Cena. I really feel like if you went the other way and you just did something very standard and very pro-wrestling-like, 
instead of blurring the lines, I think the people would be crapping all over both of them, and you wouldn't get the reaction that you want. It'd be a lot of booing and, and, and a lot of hijacking of the crowd and very just not – I wouldn't say people wouldn't be interested in it, but people would want, you know, especially fans and today's fans – would want to make their stance known and not really invest into the story. They would just want to chant Cena sucks for the sake of it or Roman sucks for the sake of it and see which chant could be louder. So I think this blurring of the lines thing has really helped um, this storyline, but I also think it's benefited Cena more than it has Reigns. Well, good points brought up by all, but I'm going to have to disagree with both of you on that count. Because I honestly think that the uh, – y- yes, the promos that I've done to build up this match have been interesting. They've been the, – the promos have been hard-hitting. And, yes, uh, Cena has owned reigns. But one of the only ways we improve, one of the only ways we get better is to work with people who are obviously better than we are. And, yeah, maybe it's – maybe you stumble and maybe it sucks to be put in that position sometimes, but the, sometimes that's the only way you grow, trial by fire. Uh, you know, as far as the chance, you know, at this point – at this stage of the game, I think people chant, Cena sucks, let's go Cena. I think it's a mark of respect at this point. Um, yeah, you're going to get your vocal IWC fans, ah, Cena sucks, but it's almost like the same as Kurt Angle. Whenever Kurt Angle comes out, you suck. Obviously, he doesn't suck. Obviously, he's very loved. And I think when the time comes for Cena to hang it up, I think you're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of people missing Cena and what he brought to the table. Uh, with that being said, Reigns, I agree with Dave. I'm I'm a fan of Reigns. I think he brings a real hard hitting style to the ring. Uh, his ring work is impeccable, and yeah, he needs work on the mic still. So, I think putting him with Cena. Uh, was a good move, and this buildup has been an interesting buildup, and I think it's going to be a great match. So that being said, who wins this match, Rock? As far as who wins the match is concerned, uh, in the interest of time, I'll keep my analysis short and sweet. Uh, and again, looking at this as like a passing of the torch, I don't think it is, and that's why I don't think Reigns is going to come out of this with a victory. What I what I envision is, I envision a, a long, hard hitting match. I envision John Cena getting the victory, and I am envisioning a Roman Reigns match beatdown. Uh, you know, finally, may, maybe we'll get the heel turn or whatnot, but I think Reigns is going to beat the crap out of Cena after he loses. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to – I think that's cool, and I think that would really work, but I'm going to go with Reigns uh, with the victory. Um, I think it's going to be a fun match, and – People think Reigns sucks, like, are just stupid and don't get wrestling. Like, he's a, you know, I, I really, I mean, it's like he's a big dude that, that can move, that's got a, he, he's strong. Um, you know, w- would I change some of his, his moves? Probably. Would I, is there a lot that I would change if I was in creative in charge of Reigns? Yeah, there are, there is. Um, does he suck? No, that's just stupidity. Um but I think Reigns, you know, again, the old adage, like, wins and losses uh, don't matter in pro wrestling. And, and that's stupid because they do. Sometimes. Sometimes wins and losses do actually, they do actually matter. Because what's the point in telling a story where you're telling a story about a competition? Why would wins and losses not matter? Duh. Anyway. Um, and I think this is one of those cases where a, a win matters, um, especially because how much um, he was owned by Cena on the mic that uh, – a victory here 
uh, for Roman Reigns would definitely be. Uh, I think it's necessary. I think that's the direction they go in. However, I will say that like I didn't think of that, but I, I if Cena were to win, I think the beatdown afterwards would be really cool. If Cena's just left like in, in a in a heap in the middle of the or you know, like under an announce table or something like afterwards, um, that would work. I could honestly, and when you're saying it, I could almost see that after the fact. I could see Reigns winning. And still, like, deciding, you know, maybe Cena goes for the handshake and Reigns just beat the hell out of him after that. Um, that would be kind of cool. I would like to see that. But uh, I'm going to go with Reigns with the victory, Dave. I think we're going to get a fantastic match. I think both guys, you know, they obviously bring it all night, all, all the time. And I can't expect these two to have a bad match. Um, and, Ken, I'm glad you brought up the wins and losses point because – Upon doing my research with this match, in 2017, I said this earlier, Reigns has kind of had a weird year on pay-per-view. The last pay-per-view match Roman Reigns won was at WrestleMania against The Undertaker. And he has not won a pay-per-view match since. And if you are going to – if you are trying to compare him to – in the storyline, if they are trying to compare him to John Cena and he is being groomed as the heir apparent to the throne and he's supposed to be the next top guy – then he's going to have to beat the guy who has held that position for such a long period of time. If he can beat The Undertaker, then he should be able to beat a man like John Cena. So with that being said, I'm going with Reigns for the victory. Whether there's a post-match beatdown or not, I don't know. But I'm looking forward to this match very much so. And I kind of wish they saved this for WrestleMania, but at the same time, I'm glad that this match is taking place on an event like No Mercy. I agree with you. Yeah, I think there's going to be a really good match. And also, I would look for this match to be the match of the night. Um, I'm curious which match they're going to go with for the main event. Um, it probably depends on what times are going to be, what the finishes are going to be. Because when you look at the Universal title match, I mean, could this match be like three minutes long? Yeah, it could be. Could be. I mean, it could be. You know, it's one of those matches that uh, who knows what direction they're, they're going to go in. Um this is, I mean, this has been intriguing, and, and, and I want to get your thoughts on, like, the booking, and, and I'm going to involve, like, Cena and Reigns a little bit, too. Um, what's been intriguing is the booking of, of certain guys where you have Brock Lesnar, who has been, who was this unbeatable guy. Um, then the Goldberg thing happened, and you kind of had, like, Goldberg, um, you know, had his number. You can kind of play it off, like, all right, there's this one guy that just happens to have Lesnar's number. Now it's like they've almost like decided to take that, that little, the little chink in the armor and it's getting bigger and bigger. And they've made Brock Lesnar beatable and, and almost like an underdog. Like you're almost supposed to get like sympathetic towards Lesnar. And they've, they've booked recently, like Strowman is just absolutely unbeatable. They've, they've gone into like the past few months, like Braun Strowman is just, he is a monster among men. And he is unbeatable. However, you did have Roman Reigns, who put said monster on the shelf for a time period. And Roman Reigns is going against John Cena. Reigns was able to put the monster, the unbeatable guy, on the shelf. John Cena couldn't do shit with Braun Strowman. So how can we take seriously that Cena would even have a chance with Reigns if Reigns was able to kick the ass of the monster? So some of the booking has been kind of unusual with these guys. Um, for me, and again, I'm willing to accept the fact that I overanalyze stuff and I overthink and all anything overused. Like I, I do that. Um, but the booking has been unusual to me. And when I look at this match, what I find very intriguing is that they they've booked 
and, and created a situation where Lesnar is the underdog. Lesnar is, and I'm not going to give my pick just yet because I want to give your thoughts on the booking um, before we get into uh, our actual picks. But when I look at this match, like, it's amazing, but they have really booked this match in a way that there is zero chance that Lesnar can win here. That's the booking. They've, they've, they've created a scenario where Lesnar is going up against someone who is just not human. He is just not human, and he's just leaving bodies in his wake. And don't even bother suplexing him because he's going to get right back up. So it doesn't even matter. That, and it's, it's just very interesting to think, like, not that long ago, Lesnar was kind of that guy. And now Lesnar's in a situation where he's going against someone who is completely unbeatable. Well, yeah, it's, it's almost seeing the Lesnar character go full circle. Uh, he, he went from being the, the, the unbeatable brute to now the true underdog. Uh, you know, Braun has simply owned him for the past couple of uh, encounters. And I think it's an interesting, uh, never-seen-before aspect of the Brock Lesnar character. And I'm curious to see where they go with it because the, going by the booking, you know, you can throw a tank at, at, at Braun Strowman and he's going to eat it. So, so I, I, I'm curious to see if at some way or another that Brock either A, finds the chink of his arm in, in, in the armor of Braun Strowman, or B, do we see Brock go underhanded? Uh, I think it'll, it'll be an interesting to see what route they go in, in the desire for the Universal Championship. We see like uh, Brock Lesnar take like a page out of Undertaker's book when you had the Undertaker, Brock Brock program going on. It could be, could be. Yeah, you know, you could kick below the belt like that. That'll you know, that'll slow down anybody. Yeah, okay, which monster you are? You got monster cojones. Yeah, could you imagine like he, <laughs> he kicks him in the in, in the balls and like he just grabs his foot like it's like, it's like wow like really can't beat him. Uh oh, monster genitalia. <laughs> the terms that have we're, come we're, on going, we're going off the rails. Dave, your thoughts on the booking going into this match? It's reminded me a lot of the booking between Brock Lesnar and Big Show heading into the 2002 Survivor Series. Big Show had made his way to SmackDown, and Brock Lesnar was the champion. Brock was in his first year. He had went through Hogan, Rock, Undertaker, Ric Flair, like a who's who in wrestling at that time. And when Big Show got to SmackDown, like for some reason, Big Show was like his Achilles heel. Paul Heyman had said it in the weeks leading up to that particular match was, Brock, I'm afraid you can't manhandle the Big Show. You can't F5 the Big Show. Brock, I'm afraid you can't beat the Big Show. And what took place? Paul Heyman turned on Brock and aligned with Big Show and found a new meal ticket to, to, to still be associated with the WWE champion. Now, I'm not saying that that's the route that they're going to go in for tomorrow night's match, but... This is eerily similar to when Big Show for weeks after weeks would just manhandle and toss Brock around like a little child the way Braun is doing it to Brock now in 2017. Interesting. Um, so when we look at this match, um, it's intriguing. Why don't we start with Rocky on this one? Rocky, your thoughts? Who comes out victorious? Give us your, give us your story. Uh, this is a tough one, and to me, that that's a sign uh, of a of a good a good match. Uh, while yes, it, one would logically go with Braun Strowman because he's owned him for the past several weeks, but you know, 
Brock has been champ for he's been champ for a while, and I think he has done the belt well. He is he has definitely made that belt uh, a highlight of whatever pay per view is being defended on. And it seems that whatever pay per view we're talking about, when Brock is on it, uh, you know, people are coming to see Brock and whoever Brock's up against. Uh, so the the question to me becomes: Do you get that same feel with with Strowman? Now, Strowman, obviously a, a huge physical specimen. He is, a, he is a true monster. But as far as his mic work, uh, not, the, you know, not the greatest. And with Brock, you get that in Paul Heyman. So uh, I, I, like, I like the information that Dave provided and, and drawing that parallel. Uh, whether, are they going to go that route? Don't know. I, I don't see Braun wanting an advocate. Uh, so without further analysis, I'm probably, I'm going to go with the underdog. I'm going to say Brock somehow, uh, by hook or by crook or by low blow, or maybe freaking low bazooka somehow ekes out a win and still retains the universal championship. Dave, your thoughts. In the last 10 months, Brock Lesnar's character has shown and a, a significant amount of vulnerability going up against guys in similar size and, and having met his match. Goldberg, for starters, at Survivor Series last year and even at WrestleMania earlier this year. But he still managed to, you know, walk away with the title at WrestleMania. A few months later, Samoa Joe. For weeks, Samoa Joe had manhandled him, you know, every week on TV. And then when you got to the pay-per-view, Brock, you know, was still, you know, beaten up and battered, but he still managed to walk, you know, skate away with the victory. SummerSlam last month, Braun owned Brock Lesnar and stole the show in that fatal four-way main event with the amount of times that he slammed Lesnar into announce tables and just, you know, beat him from, and his character just beat Brock Lesnar from pillar to post. And I feel like that's going to catch up to Brock Lesnar at no mercy tomorrow night. Brock made a great point in the promo. Thank you for doing this because when I'm, my back's against the wall, I'm at my best. But I feel like tomorrow night that character will finally have met his match. I'm not saying that Braun Strowman is leaving No Mercy with the Universal title, but I'm saying somehow, some way, he's going to win the match, whether he gets disqualified or whether the referee has to stop the match because he has beaten Brock so bad that Brock can't get up. And Braun wins the match, does, is not crowned the Universal champion, but he takes the title with him and holds that title hostage. Like, Come beat me for this. I beat the champ. Come beat me. Take this belt off of me. Possessions nine-tenths of the law. I'm the uncrowned universal champion. And you go into WrestleMania season with a little bit of doubt of is not only Brock Lesnar going to return, but is he going to reclaim his title? Braun Strowman with the victory. What I find intriguing with this, and again, it's us doing the show, and I should, and I, and I actually have made a concerted effort to enjoy things more as a fan and try not to overanalyze, but what, what I'm intrigued with is what happens after with, with both these characters, depending on who comes out victorious. Um, when it comes to this, I agree with you, Dave. I think it's a good point that uh, we've seen a lot of vulnerability that we haven't seen before in the Brock Lesnar character. Um, this is a great title run that has done a lot for the universal title that has put it on that stratosphere that it needed to be on. You know, the, the universal title is supposed to be equal to the WWE title, um, and Brock has done that. And I think with, when it comes to that, I think Brock Lesnar 
will continue on as the universal title and an epic title run with that universal championship. I look at this and I'm just going purely on the story that's being told is it's David versus Goliath, which is amazing that I'm calling Brock David in this scenario, but (laughs) that's the story that's being told. It's the, it's the hero that is going against the indomitable foe, a person that he just can't beat. And then somehow he finds a way to win to me. That's the story being told. We're going to continue to have an epic title run from Brock Lesnar. Um, maybe it even goes to WrestleMania. I think there's more in the tank for Strowman. I wonder what they're going to do if they go this route with Strowman following this match. Again, maybe this is the match. We have a post-match break uh, beatdown. Um, remains to be seen, but I'm going to go with Brock. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Enjoy No Mercy. Off to see Sammy Hagar. Have a great weekend for Dave and Rocky. I am Ken. Good night, everybody.